Hello, 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 and welcome to the Boss Podcast. This is episode 106. I am Kirk Bailey, and this week we are talking jobs to be done, strategy, and vision. The Business of Software Podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. What is jobs to be done and how can it help you understand the progress your customers want to make so you can position your product effectively at every stage of the evolution of the product? In this talk from our online fall conference, April Dunford and Bob Mesta, two of the smartest people in their fields, go deep into the difference between vision, strategy and positioning and why you should not confuse them. Happy listening. (laughs) <laughs> the great danger of having two people like you on is that uh, you'll, yeah, it's... Uh, blabby. Yeah, yes. exa- well, not blabby, but uh, it's going to go all over the place. So I'm going to start by asking you one big question each. Um, and these are things that have come out of conversations that uh, we've had. And I'm going to start with April. Um, so April gets a chance to talk and then uh, you can uh, uh, butt in, Bob. Um and then I'm going to ask you a question. So April, you've been talking about confusion between positioning and strategy, and it obviously really, really riles you, um, which seeing you riled is very entertaining, I have to say. Uh, What do you mean by this and why is it bad? All right, so this this started, um, you know, maybe about a year ago, I started getting clients come to me saying, look, uh, what we want to do is a strategy session. And I was like, I don't do strategy. I do positioning. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. And I'm like, no, it's not the same thing. (laughs) It's not the same thing at all. And um, there are a couple of uh, consultants in Silicon Valley that are kind of talking about this, like your story is your strategy and you come up with a story and it works for VCs and it works for in a sales situation and it works for attracting company um, employees into your company. And it's just, you know, you have this story and you figure that story out and everything magically happens. Um, And so I disagree with this a lot. (laughs) And, and so here's kind of the way I think about how sort of vision strategy and positioning all come together. So typically what we have in a startup in particular is we've got this vision of where we think the company's going to be in like five, 10 years. And generally that thing is based on where we think the product's going to be, how we think the market is going to be at that point. And it incorporates a lot of stuff that we don't actually do today, but we will get there. If you give us five, 10 years, we'll get there. And so if you're pitching to a VC and you're trying to raise money, the, the, uh, pitch for a venture capitalist often is really oriented around this future state. Here's where we're going to be. This is why we're a good investment because 10 years from now, we'll be doing this thing. It's amazing. It's disruptive. It's a, um, but then you go talk to a customer (laughs) and, and often this vision pitch is a terrible, terrible way to describe to a customer what you do right now because you don't do it. Like it's a lie. (laughs) You don't actually do any of that stuff yet. Right. Your product doesn't do that stuff. And so, uh, and so instead, if you're pitching too much of this vision stuff, what happens is customer kind of leans back and says, you know, if if the vision is really compelling, 
um, often what you get is a customer lean back and says, that sounds awesome, that thing you're talking about. When should I start worrying about that? What, five years from now? Maybe six years from now? You come back here and pitch me that thing when you've got it. <laughs> or, they, or the vision is just scary. It's like, no, I don't believe in that. That's, that's not what I'm investing in right now. That's not what I want to do right now. Um, so, so actually what you have is you've got this vision, you've got a strategy to get there that says, you know, we're going to build these things first and that'll get us to here. Then we'll build these other things that'll get us to here. And then eventually we'll do this stuff and eventually we'll get to the vision. And for each step in that journey, you've got positioning and positioning is the, is the story for why should a customer purchase my stuff right now? And so it describes the value you can deliver right now. And, and that changes over time. We don't just carve that into stone on the side of the wall and leave it there forever. It actually evolves over time because our product is changing. What we compete with is changing. Our, our, um, uh, the market itself is changing. The attitudes of customers are changing. And so I can give you a couple examples of this. So one was I worked at this company called Tulip, Tulip Retail. And our vision was... Um, we were going to be this omni-channel backend for retailers. So didn't matter whether you were doing stuff online or in the store, it all worked seamlessly. Order something online, bring it back in the store. Go in the store, we don't have your size, no problem. We'll order it for you and send it to your house. And so it was this vision of this, and we were going to enable this in the backend. We take it to the VCs, love it. Raise a big pile of money. VCs are like, we love it, we love it. Disruption, we're going to disrupt everything on the backend. Retail, fantastic. We see dollar signs, great. And then we go take it to the retailers and the retailers are like, hmm. <laughs> so we go to the online side of the business and they're like, you don't understand how this works, April. Online's taking over everything. We don't care about what happens in the store. By the way, all our e-com stuff is brand new. We're not ripping that out. See ya. Right. And then we go to the in-store side of the business and they're like, oh, this sounds pretty good, but you know, all our stuff is separate from online. And so we don't, I don't, you should probably talk to them about that. I, I don't know how we're going to get this done. And, and there was no person to sell it to. And there, it was not clear which side we were actually providing value for. And so instead we retooled the pitch. And so we looked at both and it was harder to sell to the online guys because all their stuff was new. So we looked at the in-store folks and we said, hey, what could we, what could we enable in-store with the technology that we have? Forget the vision. And we'd say, well, you know, the biggest problem the in-store folks had was they're trying to compete with Amazon. And so how do we make the in-store experience relevant? So, so we ended up positioning this thing as a mobility solution for sales associates. And what it did was kind of superpower your sales associate. They could, they could you know, bring up different products and compare them on a tablet with the customer there in the store. They could do price comparisons and do price matching. You know, oh, does Walmart sell this cheaper? Oh, we'll match that price. Here's what the price is here. Um, we could do all kinds of stuff. If you didn't want to take it home with you today, we just order it and send it to your house. And so this was actually super easy to sell. Different story from what we sold the VCs, completely different story. But then when we went back to the VCs, we're like, look, we'll do the sales associate tablet thing. Then after that, we'll start doing clientele and we'll do order online and endless aisle and a bunch of other things. And eventually what happens is our stuff is in there. It's creeping around the back end and eventually it becomes this vision of the omni-channel back end thing. So anyways, that's me babbing yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that's kind of, that's the thing. I've, I've probably spent more time talking about that 
in the last six months than I have anything else. People are really confused about that. I, I, I think about the, the vision as the direction and the magnitude of where you want to go. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and in a lot of cases, this is the case of like, um, so I had, the, I had the, the pleasure of being able to work at NASA back in the early 90s. And one of the things they had, they had you do is actually study how they got to the moon. Right. And there were three really different <laughs> programs. There was the, what they call the Mercury, then the Gemini and then the Apollo programs. And the whole aspect here is though they declared they were going to go to the moon, I think in 1961, they had already started with some of the back end stuff of just, can we get a rocket in the air? Can we do these different things? And I think the aspect here is what I advise um, kind of, you know, uh, startups and, 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 you know, companies to do is to think about that they have an altimeter on their, like, like in an airplane, like where's the time horizon that the person you're talking to is thinking. The customer is not thinking 10 years out, but the investor is. And so that pitch has to be different than the customer who's worried about tomorrow or next month or next quarter. And so part of it is to realize what's the time horizon that you're really looking at and understand kind of, and, and, and what progress do they want to make relative to that time horizon? And so, um, you, you need, what I would say is the, you know, when you, when you fly to Hawaii, you're actually 90% of the time off target on your way to Hawaii. You never direct flying directly. And so part of this is to realize as a startup or as, as, as a software company, you're, you know, we're planning when we know the least. And so part of this is to realize we ha- can have a vision, but it's all about the corrections and all about the, the, the tweaks that we make along the way. And what I would say is I, I leave the, the, the vision to, to a small group of people, but I don't feel like having to explain the vision to the customer too early. To be honest, it actually scares them and makes them right. feel more vulnerable versus the things and problems we can solve for them today. And so part of this is, is being able to, to figure out kind of their, what, what they're struggling with and what progress they want to make. And then from there, adjust the pitch to the, to the time horizon that they actually are looking at. Yeah. And like, like and sometimes what you've got too is like, so I'll use this, I use this other example because I think it's really cool right now. So I don't know if you've been watching this metaverse stuff. <laughs> what is that? Oh, this is like everybody's talking about this now. Tech people are really excited about the metaverse. Okay, raise, so- raise your hand if you know about <laughs> this stuff. Let's just say, no, 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 like on the my metaverse people. So, uh, so um, Facebook recently did a little demo, um, uh, and it and and so it's kind of like people describe it as you've seen that, read that book, or seen the movie Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. And the book that is actually the book that the metaverse people all cite is this book called Snow Crash. Um, and it's funny because both these books are like totally dystopian. The world is terrible. Um, mm-hmm. But there's this, you know, a, a virtual world that is actually like an interconnected set of virtual worlds and this sort of blurring between physical reality and a virtual world. And so mm-hmm. this concept of the metaverse is a steam right now. And so one of the folks talking about this is CEO of Epic Games, who's a really neat guy. And, uh, and so he's been talking about the metaverse and, and you know, we're kind of heading towards that. And if you think about Epic Games as a game company, you're not really getting it. Like what we are right. is we're the company's going to take you to the metaverse. And so here's the problem, right? So the problem is, is that's really compelling to a certain group of people. It's compelling for the investors. It's compelling for techie people. But if you look at who they sell to, they sell to big brands that are trying to do digital stuff. And so I walk into a meeting with the CMO of Coke 
and I'm going metaverse, metaverse, metaverse. <laughs> you know, it's like snow crash. Yeah. <laughs> and the CMO of Coke is like, uh, that's great. Love it. Love that metaverse thing. But how am I going to sell some pop right now? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I need to do. Because like, right. frankly, I don't care that's about anything right. else. And so, you know, they have to have a story that kind of says, look, like, you know, this metaverse thing is coming, but, but you got to give me some compelling reasons to do something about it yep. right now. And there's got to be some value in it for me right now. Otherwise, I'm going to say, you know what? It sounds cool, but it also sounds like it's way in the future. So come talk to me next year, maybe the year after, maybe the year yep. after that. This is, this, is where, <laughs> where, this is where I talk about basically a lot of times, especially when you think about a technology or what, what you can do versus what the market can right. accept. You need to create half steps or quarter steps so people can yeah. get there. And again, if you, you sometimes they want to know where they're going. Sometimes they just want to make the half step, right? And so part of this is to realize, like again, where where are they coming from, and being able to understand those kinds of uh, aspects to it. And so, to me, again, I, I if you're truly innovating, there's so many unknowns around it. You have so to many. think about being able to create the the metaverse kind of a, a vision, but realize like there's so many things we don't know what to do that we should actually kind of like, you know, make sure we step it back a few steps so we can actually understand the, the migration path to get to the metaverse. Right. 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 And so part of this is that, that once we see it, we want to, especially as entrepreneurs, once we see that vision, we want to tell everybody. And what I've had to right. pain myself on is like, okay, I'm going to leave that vision to, to a smaller group and realize what's the half step or the quarter step that then I can actually rally everybody around to know that that's where we're going. But if I tell them how far I want to go, they all either get scared or they tell me it's impossible. They tell me all these other things. And so part of it is to realize like, that's why, that's why I think you bring up the point that there's, there's positioning and there's strategy and strategy is about that long-term thinking to figure out the right. direction and the magnitude. And in a lot of cases, to be honest, um, I've helped companies actually define strategy by eliminating what they don't want to do, not, right. not defining what they want to <laughs> so do, but it's, but it's more about, you know, narrowing it into this area and all right, we're going to go this way. Right. And so part of this is being able to realize like strategic discussions are different. Right. And again, if you think about investors, they're long-term strategic partners to help you get to that vision. So that's why that makes sense. But when you talk to people who need your help and who are going to pay you dollars today, you got to be able to focus how your vision or how parts of your vision is going to help them make progress tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Totally so. agree with that. I drew this little thing for the, for these guys I was working with last week, but I don't know. See, look at how high tech this is. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, wow. I, 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 I just thing. have this it version. Like, I have this version of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can see you got you got the high tech version of that. I got the let's roll the whiteboard over here. I love it. I love it. But, like, but like here's your vision up here. And yep. you got your strategy for like this is how we're gonna get from here today up to here. But you've got these steps along the way, right? Like first we're gonna be this, then we're gonna be this, then we're gonna be this. And each one of those needs positioning. Like each one of those has a sales pitch that goes with it that you yes. say, here's what we're selling now. And here's the value we can deliver. Then we get here. We're like, oh, here's what we're selling now and the value we can deliver. Then we get here. Here's what we're selling now and the value we can deliver, which is different. Yep. And so if I took this metaverse thing as an example, right, I might say, you know, and if you look at what Epic Games is doing, there's all this cool shit. So like they, they have this uh, thing they announced with Ferrari. 
And so they made a super realistic Ferrari car and you can drive it around inside Fortnite. <laughs> and, so you wow. get on Ferrari. and it's like a Ferrari goes way faster than any other car and Fortnite and all this stuff. It's super cool. But they also use that same representation of that car in their uh, builder online. Like when you buy a Ferrari, you get to customize it. So in the product builder online, it's the same car, the same digital asset. And then they also use the same digital asset when they went to build a commercial for the car for the launch. And so that is a very metaverse, that's very metaverse thinking, having digital assets that span across these different uses and different contexts and things like that. So there's some examples here where you could say, well, I've got this very high quality representation of my thing um, that spans across these different virtual places. Yep. And then, you know, and then I can move into doing things that are a little bit more complicated where I've got like what they're doing with Balenciaga. I, you know, I can sell you the shirt. You can buy the shirt online, the shirt, you can buy the shirt for your avatar inside Fortnite or whatever, you know, and then if we, as we go, and then who even knows what this thing looks like when we finally get there, we don't quite know yet. Right. But the thing that the important thing is I can't sell you this. I can't sell customers this. I can only sell them this. Right. And that's you know, where and that's might... the difference between positioning and strategy, right? That's and I right. think that's that's the thing is people think they're the same thing, but the fact is they're just they have different time horizons wrapped around it. And I think the fact is is yeah. to realize like I I need to the, the the positioning today has to be encompassed to the vision where we want to go, but it doesn't actually have to articulate the entire vision because at some point the vision should actually be way farther out than most people can comprehend exactly right and so you have to separate the two i think the other thing to me is that what i've done is most people have a vision and then they make it very very concrete and what they do is they measure how far they are from that vision and what i would suggest is that that you want to keep the vision almost in some cases very um soft in some ways to, and talk about the progress you're making from where you were to where you, you know, where you were to where you are, as opposed to working at the distance or the gap analysis of like, how far are we from our vision? Cause right. people end up getting motivated by the progress you make, not necessarily. And they almost get demotivated by how far away from the vision they are. That's exactly, that is exactly it. That's exactly it. That's right. very jobs thinking. That's right. I think the other, well, that's part, a though, great opportunity for you oh, to take a little action. <laughs> And shut this one down and uh, ask another. <laughs> I was getting all ready to draw. I know. Oh, he's going to draw right. something on That's his thing. Right. Come on. That's all right. That's all right. Bob, Bob, this is yeah. your question now. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so, really, you know, great way, great way to, to kick off. Talking about um, asking the right questions. Um, Bob, how does jobs help you ask the right questions? I think so. I think I think of jobs as a method, right? But I think the reality is, is it's this notion of progress is got to be the underlying frame of how you have to think about things in terms of what does progress look like and what direction and magnitude, how fast do I want to go places? And and a, what you realize is that from a product perspective, nine times out of ten, we want to go way farther than the customer does. <laughs> and so part of this is to be able to actually ask not only good questions about kind of the fit, but you have to realize that our vision is actually devoid of the context of the future. And so part of this is to realize good questions come from understanding context. And what you'll realize is that the irrational becomes rational when you actually wrap it in context. 
So good questions come from basically making sure you understand where people are coming from and where they want to go. Right. And so to me, it's being that curious to make sure you understand their words and what they mean. A lot of times people will use words and you say, oh, yeah, I know what that means. And I'll go and I'll pretend like I don't. And it turns out that their meaning to that word is very different than my meaning. Right. And so part of this is to be able to make sure that you actually understand kind of where you are, where where they are, where they want to go and how do you fit. And ultimately, that to me is what positioning is about, is those things, is being able to communicate to people. One is most people actually don't even know where they are. Right. They don't have the words to talk about the, the, the struggles they have or the problems that they have or, or that they've hit a milestone that they have to do something different. And so part of positioning has to have that information in it. But then it has to actually talk about the next step, the next what, 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 what is it? What is the outcomes that they're really trying to seek? And it's those things that create the value for the positioning. April, please. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah, totally agree with that. It's interesting that concept of con context, like, yep. um, because I talk about that a lot in the companies I work with, like positioning is kind of hard concept to get your head around. So it, thinking about it as context setting for products, it, it makes it a lot easier. But yeah. one of the things where I thought the job stuff was really useful in my work too, like in addition to that, was this idea that, we often don't really, like in terms of this context, we often make really poor assumptions about um, the, the context of how the, com the company is thinking about us in terms of the competitive landscape. Like yes. who do we actually compete with? Yes. And so we'll go in assuming like we compete with the other products that look like us. So I got to position myself against those other products. But then I go into the customer and the customer's like, my dude, I do this on Excel. <laughs> yeah. oh, why should I give up Excel? And that's when, and so in their mind, that's the context. Is this better than Excel? Could I, could I, you know, why should I get off Excel to do this thing? And we're in there talking about all the esoteric little reasons why you should pick exactly. us versus XYZ competitor. And they don't even know about them. <laughs> well, and, and it goes back to like, so one of the, I worked with a mattress company. And one of the things we realized was the greatest competitor to a new mattress was a bottle of Z-Quil. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. And you go, and, and, and the simple ad was how many bottles of Z-Quil do you need before you realize you need a new mattress? Right. 27% increase in sales. Like, like it, it's like just helping them understand their context and realize, oh, maybe right. that's what's going on. Like, you know what I mean? Like part of this is to realize that, that their context actually makes it seem that like sometimes the competitors are very, very different. And though we have industry competitors, primarily set by what I call the church of finance or basically the, how, how these business yeah. models work, but the consumer has no idea about that. And so you start to realize though, we think we compete with, you know, Casper and Helix and Sealy sort of similar. The reality is like their whole thing is, is they're not even at a mattress yet. And so part of this right. is to realize like, if, and if we help them understand that they need a mattress, they actually don't shop that much because nobody really wants to look at a thousand different mattresses right. <laughs> to realize what do you really compete with? Right. And so I think <clears throat> I go back to intercom, right. Intercom's first initial positioning was, you know, all, all your data cradle to grave for your customer in one place. Right. That was the vision. And it was really about helping small startups run software, uh, run the software side or the, the, the customer interface side. Right. Well, it turns yeah. out though, in one job, it competes with HubSpot and in another job, it competes with Zendesk. And right. so part of this is to realize, like, depending on their context, all of a sudden they actually have different competitors. 
And so that's actually the, the moment where you start to realize like you actually might have to price differently. They might actually come yeah. from very different places. And so all of that comes back to being able to understand where are your customers coming from? What do they struggle with? What, what does progress really mean? And how does your product fit in? And so all those questions are really kind of at the core of kind of where I start for any, any product, anything that I'm helping develop, it all starts with that. Because if there's no struggling moment, then to be honest, it, I don't know. I've not been successful just convincing people to buy. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Exactly. That never works. You know, the other thing that the other thing that ties into that is this idea, like, so I see this a lot in positioning work I do, we got the cross-functional team, right? Together. And so when we get talking about competition, it's amazing how different parts of the organization see that competitive landscape really differently. And so a lot of weak positioning that I see in companies comes from this idea that sales is kind of positioning against one kind of competitor, but the yes. product folks are thinking about a completely different competitive set when they're yes. building new features and prioritizing stuff. <laughs> and then marketing's got their own view of it. And so if you go to sales and you say, who do we compete with? They'll name the company that they lost the last deal to. That's exactly right. Right. Exactly. It's like, oh, Oracle, they kick our ass everywhere. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh my God. Every time we see them, we can't win. But if you look through their data in the CRM, you know, typically B2B company is losing a third of their deals to no decision. Right. right? And what's no decision? I, I have Fast that number forward. way high. I have that number way higher. Yeah. I have that number in the, almost in the eighties. <laughs> like it's a large, large number. And I think part of it is. And that's just the ones that got into a deal process. We're that's not right. even counting the ones that dropped out way earlier in the, in the pipeline somewhere because well, they were like, you know what? We can't even figure this out. Well, and so what's is- no decision? It means you lost to the spreadsheet. You lost to the intro, intern. You lost to Dayquil. <laughs> you know, well, you lost I, I, to- that's right. I think, I think part of that, though, gets back to is we don't actually help people make decisions. And the, so one of the things, so in demand side sales, I talk about this, where the fact is, is what, 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 what I found to work very well is to always give them three alternatives because the, what, what happens is, is that yeah. what ha- they, they, they'll, they'll, the first thing they'll do is they'll eliminate one, right? So it's like, oh, we can start this way or we can start that way or we can start the uh, third way, right? The first thing they'll do is eliminate the one that they know they can't do. So they, yeah. one, they made a decision. But two is then they, the two that are left, what's so interesting is they don't compare them to each other. They compare them to the one that's out. So they actually eliminate the ones and they're left with one. They don't actually choose one. They choose by elimination. Hmm. So and so a lot of this stuff has to go with how do you actually help? And, and so my next book is called Learning to Build. And one of the things I bring up is that a skill that, that really good entrepreneurs have and innovators have is they know how to identify and manage trade-offs. Mm. right and ultimately most of the time why you get no decision is because they can't make the trade-off because the risk is too high and so part of it is that you have to actually learn how to reframe the solution in terms of is it make it shorter do you actually make it in smaller parts do you actually uh, combine it with other things so part of this is is those kinds of aspects yeah 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 right you know the the guys i i lately i keep coming back to this book challenger sale i don't know why i'm like super obsessed with challenger sale right now it's like this 12 year old book but i keep coming back to it because i've decided everything in there is genius but but one of the one of the things they talk about is in their research when they looked at when a company 
failed to 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 decide so this no decision yep. state right we got all the way through and then we decided and then they went back and interviewed the companies and were like you know how come you didn't get to a decision um a lot of the and they were really focused on complex b2b deals yep. so it's, it's b2b it's a considered purchase so there's kind of a, a purchase team like there's not just one person making a decision there's five or six people and what they, the reason they went no decision is they couldn't agree on the approach to the problem. Right. So it wasn't even like, it wasn't even like, you know, we couldn't figure out who had the best solution. It was like, you know, this company has this approach, that company has this approach, this company has this approach. And then we have our own, like we're doing right. it in spreadsheets, whatever. And so let's narrow it down to an approach and then we'll look what the best vendor is to, to map to that approach. And they're like, we can't even figure out the approach. And so in their research, what they showed was, a salesperson that could come in and kind of paint a picture of the whole market and say, look, these guys do it like this. And that's really good if you're this kind of company and these folks take this approach and that works really well if you're small and the, but these folks, but you, you're like this. And therefore, you know, here's some things to think about can help the customer kind of figure out how do I even, right. you know, get started on this thing. And so, get past this paralysis of so what's I don't know, interesting is so I've been working with enough. I've been working with a company out of Detroit here called Autobooks, and they help basically big banks um, have um, uh, bill, uh, basically helping small business uh, uh, invoice so it goes directly into your account, so you don't have to go to PayPal or Square or anything like that. So it all and, and to be honest, you have access to your money faster. And one of the things that we learned is that they kept having the demo be the thing that like, once they get to a demo, then we got to close. Well, as we interviewed people to understand where they were in their timeline of buying, when they're in passive looking and they ask for a demo, it's kind of like, I don't know enough to know anything. And so right. tell me some stories of what's going on. That's Versus right. when they're in active looking, they want to see all the possibilities. And in deciding, they actually want you to frame trade-offs. So right. we instead of having one demo, we actually end up creating three demos and have people earn the right to the next demo and we almost have the sales cycle, hmm. right? Because the problem was, is they had one demo, they were trying to actually shove down everybody's throat at the same time. And they didn't right. realize the context they were in when they got the, or wanted the demo. And all they were was like, demo closed, demo closed, demo closed. Right. So everything led up to the demo and they didn't actually ask the question of like, what's the job of the demo? Why do people hire the demo? And it's like, yeah, well, one exactly. is to help me learn. What, they, and what, is to help does, me what is a customer actually doing in this sales meeting? Exactly. What are they trying to figure out? And it's usually, you know, and again, if it's a first sales meeting and it's somewhat complicated thing, you're trying to sell. First sales meeting is often never about, I'm trying to make a decision between three things and I've already made the shortlist, whatever, whatever. Like you might have a shortlist, but you have no idea. Again, you're trying to figure out this approach. I'm trying to figure out how to think about everything. Not right. just your stuff. Right. Well, and there's some there's some great talks coming up on this stuff. So Claire Solentrope's doing a, a whole session on just copywriting and how to how to ask the questions, understand what the struggling moments are, and then be able to wrap that into a story that people can almost feel like they're in the middle of. Right? How do you do that? And then uh, there's some people that uh, that we're talking about basically the, the, using jobs to understand partners. Um, buyers, users, and kind of that stack of things in the B2B side and how do we put them together and to realize like, I got to figure out when I'm, when I'm talking to buyers, I have to actually like, so in Autobooks case, I got to talk to the banks very differently than I talk to the small businesses. Totally. And if I, and if I don't actually satisfy both, the, the, the model doesn't work, but I can't actually say the same positioning to both. 
Yeah, that's, for those that's, guys, that's the thing that we're, we're the, the fallacy, and then we try to build one message for everything, and it, it, it literally goes awry. And so part of this is knowing how to separate and when to separate, right? Um, and then and then uh, Asia is going to be talking about the go-to-market strategy and how you use jobs to help frame the go-to-market strategy. So there's going to be a lot of people talking about this in, in terms of asking those really good questions, but then once you have those answers, how to then package it to help you know, kind of both bolster sales, understand product and understand kind of uh, markets that you want to go after. But my thing is, is that ultimately jobs is about this notion of progress. And like, so one of the things, one of the research, two things I'm doing now, one is, is um, my, my next book. So I have a book coming out in January, but the next one is I've been studying for two years. What causes people to say today's the day they want to leave this company to go to the next company. So what progress do people make by by switching companies and ultimately realizing that employees hire companies more than companies hire employees and understanding the package, like the job descriptions are written like a, like a real estate agent, four bedrooms, two and a half bath, 33,000 square feet, you know, all these things, but they don't tell you how to live in that house. And so we, we we're actually kind of doing a disjustice. So I feel like the struggling moment of, you know, the, the, the premise was how many people actually uh, don't like their job and want a new job. Well, that number is actually way higher than we think it is. And the fact is, is most people just don't know how to go look. And so that's what I'm going to be. That's, that's the, it's called your next thing is the working title right now. And so like jobs is that aspect of asking very deep questions about what does progress really look like and what are the trade-offs you're willing to make? So it's, 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 uh, I'm, I'm excited for the next uh, three days. Cause it's, uh, that's all we're going to be talking about is what are the framing the right questions, right? To, because it's all, I, I think Einstein said, I'd rather spend If I have one more hour to spend on anything, I'd spend 55 minutes on, on trying to frame the problem, right. And ask the right questions, because once you do that, it's easy to get the answers. Right. Mm. Yeah. So um, while people frame the questions that they might have um, for uh, for the pair of you, and I, I warn, I'm 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 pretty mean. As as like you are spending your time here, my 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 ask of you as a participant is to actually understand and write down some of the struggling moments you have and why you hired this this. Uh, conference to what progress you want to make because the more you can be explicit about the progress you want to make it's easier to grab the things off the shelf and make the decision of what you want to do but if you look at that agenda and you can't figure out who to go to you got to ask yourself why 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 do I want to go to this one why do I want to go to that one how's it going to help me what are the things that I think is going to happen and how do you actually know how to actually pick and so the clearer you can be on the progress you want to make the easier it is for you to digest the agenda. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.